Hello, you're listening to the Consequential Podcast, where we're going to be talking about Thought Bubble again, now that we are back from Leeds and nestled in the disease-ridden bosom of Cambridge once again. I brought plagues. Yes, you did. Upon all of us. Yes, which is why we all of us. sound riddled with disease. I feel pretty chirpy. Yeah, well, patient fucking zero here is apparently fine. The rest of us, not so much. So we're going to be going into some of the stuff we saw at Thought Bubble, mm-hmm. um, and we're going to be uh, going over some of the interviews we, we had with kindly people who, who talked to us there. And brave, now brave souls who got have in the way horrible of diseases. My disease plume. Yeah. You were sort of a miasma in a coat, really, weren't you? It was a nice coat. I'm not saying that it wasn't. I'm just saying that you are pestilence, second of the horsemen. Yeah, oh, but like... can we link to The Four Horsemen by Aphrodite's Child in the show notes? That's a really fucking good prog song. Yeah, all right. What have you been reading, Lucy? <laughs> a couple of short ones from the internet to start with. So I read The Auntie by Alyssa Wong and Wendy Zhu, which uh, Wendy Zhu is one, the artist on Mooncakes, which we've talked about previously. Oh, um, yes. And this was a sort of short Halloween comic about basically being sort of haunted by an auntie. Oh, I read that. It was brilliant. In the sense of a sort of well-meaning but possibly corrective older Chinese lady. (laughs) Um, You know, she went and sort of found where all the elderly people ghosts were hanging out and, you know, it's a little bit adversarial but in the end they sort of have a good relationship her and her ghost auntie. It's very. Ni- it's a very nice little Halloween short. It's my favourite of the Halloween comics I saw this year. I'd recommend it. Yeah. Is that the kind of vertical scrolly one? Yes. Yeah, just being sort of overpowered, like overparented almost, just like. But by a ghost. <laughs> yeah. So she's buying a cute, sh- a cute shirt, and then Auntie's there, just going, "What's wrong with you? We didn't bring you up like this." Yes. Ghost Auntie. But she also sort of cares for her in an emotionally smothering way. It's a. Not entirely bad relationship. No, it's good. I enjoyed that. Um, also from the internet, I read a series of comics on Tumblr by someone who is known only as the old person whisperer. <laughs> I think because it would probably be bad for their job if they were known by name that they were doing comics about it. It's a person who is basically working in geriatric medicine, talking about how difficult that is and some of the sort of different challenges they face. Because, I mean, a lot of the time, what applies to healthy younger people in terms of kind of emergency medicine and first line treatment isn't actually the best thing for an older person. It's also got some interesting stuff about sort of the NHS and I guess more than anything it reminded me about the whole sort of graphic medicine sphere that I'd sort of dipped out of for a little while so I'm definitely going to investigate that more. I was going to go to their conference one year because it was always in Brighton and then that was the first year that it was in America which is a lot further away than Brighton and Probably more money than I was willing to spend on something that's in, like personal interest rather than career. So, any particular highlights from the comic? Nothing in particular. Mostly just the sort of flavour of the whole thing. I mean, there was sort of an interesting graph of how well regarded the different specialisms in medicine are, and you've got kind of your neurosurgery, your cardiac up the top, kind of slowly drifting down towards old people. And then, as they pointed out, psychiatry is not even in the hospital <laughs> building most of the time. So. Yes, if you're interested in sort of the politics of British medicine or the medical issues of the elderly, they're sort of very kind of clear, well-drawn, well-explained comics about those topics. What's the look? What's the look? Sort of... Oh, God, I can't remember any of their names. Kind of 
cartoonish thin line black and white type drawings mm. but in that sort of very clear style not sort of Kate Beaton scritchy no much clearer than that maybe a little bit wibbly mm. in places but not scritchy good mm. good and then I went uh, kind of hard on the tough long politics stuff and it feels necessary right mm. So I read the third instalment of March, which came out recently. That is um, the three-part comic series by Congressman John Lewis about his time in the civil rights movement. Currently getting a lot of tweets about Christmas advertising. Yes, almost certainly. I think he's, he's rep John Lewis on, um, uh, on Twitter. There is a, another American gentleman who basically has to brace hard mm. every time this sort of thing happens. I think if, you, if you're getting onto Rep. John Lewis's page, it's fairly obvious fairly early on that he's a black American politician and not a, a chain of department stores with a Christmas thing going on. Yes. Yes. He's much more focused on civil rights than he is. Oh, beautiful interiors. Yeah, at a home, high home price. Wise. New fridge. That I know. No, indeed. I mean, much, much less likely to advertise in the Daily Mail. Oh, yes. I mean, I guess I described it in my notes as more of the same, but in a good way. It is sort of a... This one covers sort of the period around where sort of the uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee are kind of drifting away from some of the rest of the organised civil rights movement. Malcolm X gets assassinated during this time, but Martin Luther King is still alive at the end of it, I think. it's um, The big focus in this one is not sort of civil rights broadly, but actually sort of franchise. It's the voting rights stuff. The, I don't care if I can sit at your lunch counter if I can't vote in my own country kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and again, some of the things that I found the most interesting about this were just those sort of little bits of culture that you don't really get a feel for if you're reading this sort of from the outside or from a more kind of neutral historical perspective, like... Well, like the fact that a lot of the sort of older African-American generation were strongly advocating for basically respectability politics kids, even your non-violent protesting is giving us a bad rep, we need to just carry on doing our jobs and behaving and one day someone will come and liberate us and basically the younger generation saying that is not, not soon enough for us. Also the influence of basically white people in the movement, because it was sort of civil rights did attract a lot of sort of particularly kind of young left-leaning white people as well, but also that meant that there were people turning up who were used to being the dominant group, people turning up who wanted to exert maybe more control than the sort of black civil rights leaders felt happy with. So those little tensions were some of the most interesting stuff for me, just because it was stuff that I had no other real context for whatsoever. Super pertinent right now as oh, well, yeah. with like the whole thing of slightly problematic white allies not mm. really being very aware. Yes. Yes, thinking you are... Thinking you know what's going on doesn't give you the automatic right to say everything you feel and become very defensive if you get challenged by someone who's living that life. And I think, again, a lot of it's, we're seeing a lot of problems related to white supremacy in the broad sense, not in the kind of f sort of focused fascist sense, in that white people are used to having pretty much their way in everything, the largest share of every pie, and eat, sort of any erosion of that feel, it brings out a huge amount of defensiveness. Mm. And you can absolutely see why that still doesn't make it acceptable. <laughs> Um, and it was also this. It was a really, really nice kind of coda to the Obama presidency. 
um, just because sort of the whole framing of this trilogy is it starts with John Lewis being kind of invited to the inauguration and kind of seeing a black man become president and then he kind of goes back in flashback to his time in civil rights and how sort of distant that seemed then and it ends sort of near the end Obama gives him a postcard that just says because of you John and that felt it was just extremely moving I'd have probably cried yeah I nearly did I haven't read anything beyond the first volume yet but I fully intend to the first volume was just absolutely excellent it, it carries on that level of quality and all the way through even even regardless of it being a very important story it's very well crafted yes um it's, it's beautifully put together. Stuff like page layout is incredibly well done. It carries you through the story, through the protest. It makes it real in ways that it had never really been made real for me before. It's Nate Powell who does the artwork. Isn't yeah. It? So John Lewis's story adapted by Andrew Aiden. Who worked with John Lewis for a long yeah, time. With Nate Powell doing the artwork. Yeah. There's pictures of them all hugging on the back as well, which is nice. No, I'd absolutely recommend. And if you if you don't want to pick up physical editions, they're all six ninety nine on Comicsology as well. It's sort of, it's a lot of affordable history. And then again on the sort of I guess kind of heavy duty politics side, I read uh, Rolling Blackouts by Sarah Glidden. Ooh, now I've heard good things about that. Yeah, it's really really good. Um, so it's the story of her and some of her friends who are a kind of independent journalism collective from Seattle travelling through Turkey, Iraq and Syria trying to get sort of... trying to get stories, basically, particularly about sort of the refugee situation as it was. I mean, this is pre... Most of it happened pre the current Syrian crisis, so actually Syria is a relatively stable place where a lot of Iraqi people have gone, mm. refugee-wise. And she does kind of deal with, at the end, since we were there, a lot of things have changed and that situation is very different, but she's sort of telling it as it was a couple of years ago. I mean, I think the thing that struck me the most is that... So, so sorry, the other interesting angle is that one of the people on the trip is a former US Marine who was in Iraq in 2007, and part of, part of one of the journalists' kind of hopes for the trip is to get a sort of narrative out of him, because he starts off with the position of, well, I protested against the war, but I also felt like I had to do something. And for me, that doing something was joining the military, but it wasn't the intensely traumatic, anxiety-ridden, PTSD kind of thing. That's the narrative that the media want out of it. It sort of was what it was. Yes, I lost some friends, but I'm okay and I'm glad I did it. Hmm. And I guess they were looking for some sort of... You know, he starts talking to a lot of Iraqi refugees, and there's moments of his journalist friends sort of thinking... You know, is he even going to be moved at all by the stories of the lives that were massively disrupted as a result of the actions he was participating in or whatever? And I guess the thing that I really got out of it is that it can be so easy and, I guess, kind of mentally tempting to take a quite wide-ranging position on this sort of stuff. So, like, war in the Middle East, it's about oil, it's the fallout of colonial policy in that region, it's American bellicosity, I don't know, and then just to kind of put it on that shelf in your head and leave it there. Mm, mm. Whereas what this did, especially with the refugee interviews, was just to remind of all the kind of the complexities, the murkiness, the grey areas of war and areas of sort of massive upheaval. I felt like that about reading Palestine for the first time. Mm. You had the extra complexity of just so many human stories, but then also so many views on what was going on and where it had come from. Yes. And one of the most exciting things about that, and it's also fucking heartbreaking, but one of the most exciting things about it is challenging those neat mental mm-hmm. boxes that you file this shit in to get through the day. Yes. 
And another interesting kind of angle that Roland Blackouts brings to it, I mean, she's travelling with a collective of journalists that are all very self-aware and a lot of it becomes about sort of not only the refugees and their stories, but about the nature of journalism, about mm. about how you frame a story, about how you pitch a story, about how sometimes the story you want to tell isn't going to get picked up by an outlet, so do you tell it anyway and it goes nowhere, or do you put a different angle on it and it gets sold, all of that sort of stuff. So I know that she's done another book about Israel, and I'm going to pick that up as soon as I can, sort of Christmas, if not before. Um, art style is very nice, clean lines, lots of kind of watercolour, detail it's sort of it's sort of heavy it's not kind of thin wash mm. sort of a lot of kind of like watercolor kind of block work but mm. it works really well and it's i mean i'm not sort of i'm not anywhere near as well educated about those issues in that part of the world as i could be and it felt like a good step in that direction was that that was published a couple of years ago no this is a new one uh, what am i so they went to possibly the israel one how to mm. understand israel in 12 Maybe yeah. months, years, days. I'm not quite yeah. sure which period of time it is, but this one I think. I mean, it's such a big book, and because it's watercolored as well, I imagine it just took a really fucking long time to make. Mm. Especially given that you know Syria is a stable place during the time frame that she's capturing in her trip. She does sort mm. of address that and the kind of political changes there later. But yeah, I think it must have been a fucker to draw and paint. Mm. So, Art, oh, you and I, we went to Leeds. We did. We the did Leeds a, of the North. We did a thought bubble. Mm. and ate some ham. A fine time was had by all. And you would think it would stop there, but no, we also bought and read some comics. It wasn't that fine a time. I couldn't talk. I sounded like a Wookiee doing karaoke. I had a nice time. wookiee okay. Then I gave you plague. Yes, now everyone has a disease. Yeah. Speaking of which, you gave various people your disease that weekend. Koala chlamydia. Yes. Aerosolized. Mm. Yeah. The old drop there. Just because you want to be high all the time on eucalyptus doesn't mean you can come spreading that on us. And yet. I think we said last week, but I think we all had a lovely time at Thought Bubble. There was a lot this year, a lot of really interesting oh God, creators. So much stuff. I, I dropped 120 quid and I think I came away with about a third of what I wanted. Oof. Yeah, in particular, there was a lot of queer content, mm. which... I wrote a little thing about it. You did write a little thing about it. We actually wrote something and it's on our website. Well, hey! Yeah. That doesn't happen very often. We're all taking credit for it, but it was Roger. It was Roger. Um, oh God, don't let me take credit for things. I'll get all arrogant and shit. So one of the sort of one of the prominent um, queer creators that we talked to and you bought some stuff from was Tab Kempton. Yes. Um, who Lucy knows I've from back in long the day. time. No, seriously, Chaos Comics was one of my first kind of introductions to LGBT comics back in the day, and also it just was a sort of very good kind of story and friendship driven comic when mm. that was a thing that I wanted a lot of. I mean, they were at school, I was at school, I was like, ooh. Would you like to hear Roger talk to him? I'd love to. Here with um, Tab Kimpton, who does um, Chaos Comics and a book currently on Kickstarter called Minority Monsters. And yesterday you were on the um, Queer Comics Today panel, I believe. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, sometimes panels like that can feel a little bit like preaching to the choir because it's, you know, an LGBT sort of queer audience talking about things. But I think um, there's some really interesting discussions about um, bringing content, like um, whether we want sort of like 
young adult stuff getting yeah. through. Um, and we mostly talked a lot about how much we love Steven Universe. And yeah, little shed a tear for Steven Universe in the room. But now it's been a really interesting con. Um, one of the things that I've really liked about this con is I started a project um, which is called the Thought Bubble Rainbow Road um, project, which is basically just a map of all of the LGBT queer traders at the convention. And, and so many. Yeah, so many. Like, um, this, the list I've got isn't even an exhaustive list. Um, and it's 45 tables out of 420 tables, which means, yeah, that's, that's, that's over 10%, which means that we have decimated Thought Bubble with, like, queer media, which is fantastic. And more and more people that I've been talking to this weekend um, are doing stuff. And it's just, it's sometimes, I, well... I thought there was only a couple of us and this has really shown that there's lots of us and we're all um, you know successful humans so there's a real demand for it and that's been fantastic yeah and your own books, what have you, uh, what, what have you got, got at the show this, uh, this year? Um, I'm here with Chaos Comics, which is my first sort of comic book. Um, and like a bunch of other stuff like Shades of A, which features an asexual protagonist. So uh, I tend to, uh, yeah, I write stuff a little bit that falls through the cracks of LGBT. Um, Bring up that kind of visibility and yeah, use yeah. these kind of identity concepts for characters that you might not necessarily see so often. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, and um, to drive into that, uh, the book I'm working on at the moment, which is on Kickstarter right now, is called Minority Monsters, which is yeah, all of the you know you have your standard like um, <laughs> your lesbian harpies, your uh, gay griffins, and your um, transgender fairies, but also um, your bisexual unicorn. Your um, asexual succubuses, all of this kind of creatures throughout this alphabet soup land of gender and sexuality. Um, it sounds delightful. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, um, I've done some work which is a bit angsty before. You know, that's, it's good to have stories which talk about sadness and homophobia and finding yourself, and that's good. But this book is just a beautiful, silly-like book um, that really shows that there's a comedy and a humour behind this kind of stuff which um, I just yeah you just want to share with people about how this can be fun and exciting too not just sad stories yeah. and um, is there anything anything at the show that you've seen that you'd particularly recommend um, I haven't gone away from the table and it's I literally hard, I'm going to go through my Thought Bubble Rainbow map and sort of tick people off yeah. as I go it's cool. going to be beautiful yeah. okay well good luck with that oh, Thanks very much for talking to us. Yeah, thank you very much. Good interviewing, Hart. So, uh, what have you... Yeah, so, like, Tao Kenton, lovely guy, and he put me on to so much other cool stuff um, to pick up at the festival. He, uh, he did the uh, Queer Comics Today panel on the first day, and I got it on the second day. They covered a lot of really interesting stuff in the panel discussion. There was Joe Glass there, he does the Pride. Mm-hmm. Um, there, Julia Sheila was there. There were a couple of other people. Um, I'm terrible with names because I'm a bad person. But they covered a lot of really interesting stuff. One of the things they got into was about the value of um, labelling. And we sort of touched on this in our in our chat, whether it sort of turns people on, puts people off, kind of it's good for visibility, but it's bad for pigeonholing. Um, and I was sort of thinking about that as I walked around the show, and I found myself actively drifting towards a lot of um, queer creators for other stuff. So... A lot of the people we interviewed ended up being in that kind of space. 
Um, in fact, there are only a couple that weren't. I think so. Um, we spoke to well, we spoke to we spoke to quite a few people, but following pretty much directly on from um, from talking to Tao Kenton, we um, went to catch up with the guys at Dragon Horde. Mm. Now they're this um, really interesting kind of really queer visible publisher and distributor, and they'll they'll cover that a bit in the in the chat, but. I went to grab a couple of their books because they, they are producing some really gorgeous, really well done stuff, including this book, um, Get Your Man by Kami, I think, um, which, which is this, this sort of manga-inflected, big, daft, colourful sex comedy thing. Um, I won't dwell on it too much here because I, I do cover it in the review, but it, it is just this sort of derpy, delightful, cock-stuffed nonsense fest. It's wonderful. Um, but they're also doing this really good work to... It's one for the back of the second edition, isn't it? <laughs> this work to kind of just make things a bit more available, and they had so much good stuff on their table. They did. They had a lot um, by creators, creators like Sam Orchard, mm. who does also bio stuff about life as a trans man mm. in New Zealand, mm. and a few others that I recognise but have forgotten about, um, and a lot of stuff that was completely new to me. Oh, and they were tabling next to Lucian, who I completely forgot to interview, but is exciting and weird in fun ways. What should we hear from them? You know, we just could. We do talk to the folks from Dragonhide Studios, who are, I guess, kind of a collective or distributor, did you say? I'm, I'm not, how are we pitching ourselves? Uh, we, we, <laughs> a, a bit of everything. We call ourselves a creative collective because like, we work with the people who uh, we publish and distribute. So like, if someone's going to get a bunch of mugs, they're expensive to get, so we all get on it. And so anyone who else who wants mugs, they can get oh, out cool. it cheaper. Exactly. It's, there's so many comics out there now uh, that it can be kind of hard to get your foot in the door and be like, yes, but I'm not just on the internet. I'm actually making things and trying to go to cons, but it's expensive. It's hard to get the ball rolling. So there's a, a lot of that, and there's also um, the distribution side. We've got comics here from America, from New Zealand, where the postal rates are just huge. Yeah, and yeah, so it's, like, like it's almost twice the car, <clears throat> it's almost twice the price of the comic in some cases. Yeah. So you'd be paying forty pounds for a twenty pound comic, or yeah. you know, and it's ridiculous. It's insane. It's insane. Yeah. So so they send us a giant box of them instead, and then we ship and, and yeah. deal with the UK and European distribution. And it's been interesting. Things like Oh Human Star. People here already know about it. They already read it online. They've yeah. just never seen it physically. And it, it, it's clear that people want these things, but they can't, they just can't quite touch them. You know? So we're trying to help erase that gap, you know? And you guys yourselves are? Sorry, I completely forgot to introduce you. Oh, it's all right. <laughs> uh, I'm MX Harry, uh, pronouns they, they're them. I'm a website designer, retail supervisor, uh, zine maker, too much thing doer, workaholic. That'll happen. Yeah. Yes. And this is my partner, Michael, who runs it with me. Yes, uh, I'm, I'm, I like to say I'm slightly more uh, on a, cre a creative part of it. I, do, I sell my own um, artwork and leather work and oh, so on. Cool. Um, He's the talented one. <laughs> Lies. And, um, uh, and yeah, we just kind of came up with it together and we're just sort of trying to push it together and get, as get more people involved so that we can try and get more smaller, smaller independent artists yeah. to get their work out there. Because, I mean... It's it's easy for oh, easy. It's it's a lot of people can get their stuff printed off to bring to a convention. But say there was someone artist here who wanted to get their work to the US, it's almost impossible. But mm -hmm. we've got people in the US yeah. who we can send stuff to, which because it's once again with the bulk orders, we can send over huge amounts of stuff. It brings the price right down, 
and do it that way. Um, so yeah, hopefully just like building up on the comics community and go, you know, helping the smaller people because the larger the larger people don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and what have you folks enjoyed at the show so far? Anything standing oh. out? Uh, we love Thought Bubble. Thought Bubble and Confuzzle are my favourite UK conventions, hands oh, yeah. down. But there's so many. I love the mix here. I love how there's like DC, Marvel, Image, everybody. But there's also like complete grassroots indie, home printed zines, uh, people who are just starting out. There's, there's literally everything in between. And that's what I love. I love finding new people who stuff isn't terribly expensive or doesn't have a million back issues and continuity I need to know about first. Comics need to be about so much more than superheroes and about so much more. Well, in 1975, they started like this. And so we've come now to a thing where they're the exact same character, but stuff has happened instead. It's like, this is not even what continuity is anymore. Yeah. I, I love just picking up something, being like, this book starts and then finishes, and it's brilliant, and you just get to enjoy it. And then I talk to other people about it because that's the thing you love something and you share it and I feel like Thought Bubble's all about that is there a particular thing that you'd sort of like to draw attention to or anything that you've got here perhaps or oh my god so many uh, oh hang on I've got a book right behind here it's Our Super Adventure by Sarah Grayley, which I couldn't sleep last night because I kept reading it. It is so funny. It is Wonderful. so cute. It's about this adorable couple and their four cats just being sweet and amazing. Oh. And uh, it's so real and it's so personable and human. Yeah. Also, there's Lucian over there who does like walking the line between ero erotica and gore. <laughs> I recommend the shit out of him. Oh, sorry. Can you swear on this one? We're a pretty unpleasant podcast. You can swear. Fantastic. Hey. I recommend the fucking shit demons out of him. Wonderful. Mike, what about you? Um, oh my god, there's so many things I've seen um, this weekend. Uh, there's no... I can't... Oh. What about the werewolf one? Yes, I just picked up... Uh, I just got... Ah, uh, where has it gone? Oh, it's underneath there. It's called 100 Times, and it's a romance story between... 100 uh, Times? Yes. A uh, romance story between a, a, a man and his werewolf. Delightful. Yes. Um... As for the stuff that we sell, I mean, I know it sounds like you're trying to... This is all artists that we love. Oh, no, so, I am absolutely inviting you to big up the stuff that's on yeah, the yeah. table. Get Your Man, amazing story. It's, um, we've been describing it as Yowie, minus all of the horrific tropes that go with Yowie. Yeah. You know, the, the consent issues, the age yeah. issues, the, um, the, 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 the healthiness of the relationships. The always being in a goddamn high school. Yeah. yeah. It's um, like, what if two actual adults with jobs liked each other and wanted to, you know, date? Oh god, so I started reading uh, What Did You Eat Yesterday? Uh -huh. Think, oh, thinking, yes! Thinking it would be like the same that. guy who did Antiques Bakery. Yeah. Oh, it's so good! And it is, but there's still just these nagging little bits of, of mm. sort of bad yowie just nipping in at the edges, but it's so close to being there. It's, I know, right? Yeah. It's so close to just being like two normal people Having who like life. cooking and dating each other yeah. it's so sweet oh it's yeah I, I wanted to break through those just little bits but yeah. it's just yeah it's recipes but also this adorable old couple it's so nice I think we talked about it for about half an hour on the podcast it was ah, brilliant brilliant yes, get your man it's get your man yeah. that's by it's the first one uh, we published it's by Cami D over in Germany the kickstarted it the cover is glittery which was glittery. so hard to do but oh my god it worked out so well uh, the other one well, is the other one that I would personally recommend um is uh, Oh Human Star by yep. Blue Delacroix, and that is, oh my God, it is, um, it's a, well, it's, it's, it's a love story that sparked the robot revolution. Is the tagline. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, no, it's 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 very few. It's set in the future. The main yeah. character is someone who died, and he was like the founder of like um, robotics. Yeah. Um, and he's been reborn as a robot, but no one knows who 
created him. I'm now kind of thinking sexy Dresden Kodak. But oh no no I'm no, no it's not. Thinking it's not. It doesn't really have. It doesn't really have much in the way of actual um, like smut. Yeah. Um, it, it tends to be much more sort of like just yeah romantic story and, and then, yeah and story yeah. driven and it's um, it deals with um, his his partner who is. His subordinate in the, when he was alive, yeah. who's now taken over the company, he goes back and finds out that this guy is now the, the head yeah. of his company, and he tried to build him as a robot. Um, but something, because you can't copy a person completely, yeah. there's just too much there. The robot is actually um, female. Like, it started, yeah. a, you know, it's transgender. It's one of the great things to talk about in some of the flashbacks is like, if you copied an entire person in data, there's so much something would corrupt and yeah. they'd become a different person in some way. So, Sulla, who's effectively their daughter, yeah. is a genius, just like Al, except that she's also female and energetic and bouncy and totally different person. Yeah. And so she really is part of both of her fathers. Splendid. And it's this brilliant family drama about reconnecting with each other, finding out this new situation, and just trying to make stuff work. And on top of it, this really interesting mystery about what the hell is going on with the robots, okay. who's building these robots, why. I'm in. Yeah, it's just it's really fascinating. good. fascinating. I love anything that complicated or, or simple sadly, to get your man. It's just sadly, so we've just sold out of the only copies we've got. Um, so we're, we're, we're hoping that Blue can send us some more and they're kickstarting issue two Splendid. or volume two. Um, That's gone so super well. well. Yeah. We'll keep a look out for that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. No problem. It's all right. Thank you. Have a great thought Enjoy bubble. Enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah you, you too. too. Good interviewing, Hart. Right. It's not going to get old, that, is it? Definitely not. So, I mean, other things I've been looking at, looking at recently, uh, this, this isn't a thought of one, but I picked up, I've been meaning to buy this for years, um, Shoplifter by Michael Cho, which basically looks like you took Parker and jammed it into a sort of suburban anxiety story. He's definitely got that sort of, um, this has come from graphic design style mm. about him. Sort of cityscapes and pink wash and, and yeah. really, really compressed colour color palette. Mm. I love his art um, style. It's beautiful. It's, it's about a, a woman who works in advertising and, you know, feels bad about it because she sold out on her dreams and her sort of, one of her emotive outlets is occasionally shoplifting, which towards the end she gets caught for and has an actual moment of emotional connection with someone who basically yells at her, what the fuck are you doing? Surely you're better than this. Mm. And somewhat depressingly, somewhat glibly, this leads to her kind of bucking her ideas up and deciding she wants to be a real writer as opposed to an advertising copywriter. That bit's all a bit glib, but it does have some kind of serious emotional heft and a really good angry cat. Yeah, I read it a few years ago and I remember loving the artwork but being disappointed by how slight the story was. That said, I really love the Daddy Says I Smell, spell, smell Special thing. I don't remember that, but it does sound like something I would get PTSD over. Well, the idea is their agency had been asked to market a perfume specifically aimed at preteen girls, and she oh. is oh, yes. trying to come up with copy and just sort of snaps and yeah, it's it's very cynical. I, I quite like it. I, I love the um, I love the cityscapes in it and the way they change with the mood. Sort of, they're either full of people or they're sort of bleak and a little bit hopperish, depending on on the mood of the thing. Yeah, it's nice. I, I kind of I've been meaning to talk about this on the previous podcast, but didn't get to it. And it's could the writing be better? Of course it could, but the mood of the thing is just gorgeous and so True. well fitted to the art. True, and I feel, you know, I, I don't feel that it's fair to sort of really 
stick the boot into what I perceive as weaknesses of what is, you know, first full-length work. Yeah, and that slight glibness of having a bad time, gave up on my dreams, have a moment of emotional connection where I get shouted at, go out and buy an old-timey notebook and finally I'll be an author. It's not presented completely wide-eyed, like... I'm an asshole who works in advertising. I've got drawers full of notebooks. I haven't had my fucking epiphany. Where's my epiphany? Your epiphany is Slavic shaman. I'm eating my shaman. Mm. Shame on you. Shoplifter has this this sort of amazing constrained palette thing. That's the exact segue I'd have gone for. And really, it is. We're doing this. We're doing this. Well, why don't you fucking do it then? So, For the Love of God, Marie, by Jade Sarson. Well done! <laughs> no, seriously, though, he's not wrong. Um, for the Love of God, Marie is um, Jade Sarson's book, which she won a first book award for, I think, earlier this year? Yeah. And um, we, we, we spoke to her, we'll, we'll run that interview in, in just a sec, but I want to take a moment to just sort of squee out about this book. Hmm? Have, you, have you looked at it, Lucy? I've not, but I've squeed out many times mm. in my past. Mm. And, Usually uh, about dogs, but sometimes about books. Uh, and Mr. Combry, are you also having a little squeamergency over it? Not, not as such, no. He's feeling squeamish. Yeah, fair enough. He will do that. It's this kind of beautiful, but kind of casual, breezy... The, the, one, of, one of the glibber bits of commentary on it, in fact, I think it might even be on the like site blurb, is Ab Fab meets Armistead Morpen, which I read it and thought, I don't know where the fuck they got that, but mm. I sort of see why... Like, it's a completely incorrect description, but a completely correct cultural and emotional appeal. Hmm, fascinating. Um, so it's the story of, of Marie, who's a Catholic schoolgirl, who uh, interestingly internalises the idea of loving thy neighbour, which is to say that she decides to make people feel uplifted and special by just fucking a bunch of folks. Oh. Running from the 70s through the 90s with these gorgeous little design end papers. There's one that looks like sort of Oracle sort of tableware, Ooh. one that looks like proper nasty 90s graphic design with the jagged geometrics. Oh, fuck that. Fuck that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> fuck your polyester ski wear with the little yeah, lime triangles on with it. With the lime triangle. I didn't get any of those. Those are what the cool kids got to wear to PE in like 1994, mm. and I had fucking like 80s style, like, like the proper like knitted sportswear that is now oddly back in yeah, fashion. Yeah, yours, yours was better. You had a basically like a time machine where you have to perceive time normally, but you get to escape regrets. Some regrets. No, I have regrets because I was not cool as a five year old. Maybe I'd be a better and less fucked up person now if I had been. Nah. Nah. Um, Tell us about the comic heart. So it's it's beautiful. It's a lot of people have described it as kind of mangrish, and I can see where they're coming from, particularly in some of the panel structure and some of the um, facial depictions and line work. But often mangrish gets used dismissively, and I don't think this quite deserves that. Some of her other work comes in that style, so she has a comic called Café Suado, which is, is basically a sort of mangalage thing. So I, I get it, I do. But this um, takes the good bits of that and mixes in some really interesting colour work. So one of the things it does very nicely is, is this sort of colour coding thing. The different eras, but also the different emotional moods, have primary palettes, a bit like the show, show, uh, Michael Show stuff has that sort of constricted, what is it, like a pinky blue wash thing. Yeah. And this this uses different colours of print stock in the same way that um, Lighter Than My Shadow did mm. to mix up the ambient mood with, yeah. the, with the ink work on top of it. But within each of it, there are these little moments of colour coding. So Marie has this amazing flowing mane of golden hair. 
and then important or at least interesting characters will have that colour on them somewhere mm. that pulls it all in. Ooh. So her first sort of girlfriend, I think it's Agnes, has this hair clip with it, and then when she appears later, it's on the rims of her glasses. And this umbrella that becomes very important is in that colour. And the bandages on the nose of this character, Will, and later on his chin. Um, important umbrellas, you say. And... Um, Oh, uh, like at the end, her daughter's wedding ring and bits of the bouquet. So it's got these. This, I've probably missed some other bits of color coding, but basically, it's it's a it's an exciting trip through emotive things you can do with color movement. Mm-hmm. And it's it's basically about this this girl Marie who decides that it's it's someone wrote a comic about the '60s that our parents lied about having. And then through into the seventies and nineties, she does. Marie the f- did inhale, right? Yeah, because that's the point. Marie fucking inhaled, um, and part of it is sort of one of the ways you heard it described is she likes to make people feel special by getting down and pelvic. But it's kind of it's it's it feels like it's more about acceptance, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it does so, and it does a bunch of exclusion stuff. So. Um, one of the guys she gets together with is an amputee. He's mm-hmm. suffering a bunch of othering and ostracization. Mm-hmm. One of them is... I'm not sure if he's actually trans or just enjoys cross-dressing, but there's, mm-hmm. there's some sort of gender stuff. Um, in the 60s, um, she dates an Asian dude. There's a bunch of racism. Marie heals social problems with her fanny, is what you're saying. Yes, and that's where the um, thing that bothered me a little bit crept in, which is the thesis of it, is sort of that she sees through the ostracization to the interesting person underneath, except the initial way they're all presented is that the thing on the surface is the interesting thing. Mm -hmm. So at a casual reading, you could be forgiven for thinking that just being a bit different in some category, maybe missing an arm, maybe Mm -hmm. not being white, makes you interesting enough to receive magical sex magic. And... I don't think it is quite that glib, uh, but there is a little bit of in places some of the characterization is a bit thin. But actually most of the people she interacts with are genuine, interesting people. Mm-hmm. Um, Will in particular, the sort of running character, the best friend, who is a trainee boxer but also likes to wear dresses. Mm. Um, it's got, it's, it's just so much fun. It's, well, well let's, just, let's just hear Jade talk about it, it's brilliant. Here with Jade Sarson, who has a, the, a book out, For the Love of God Marie. Um, and also a series, Café Suada, is it? Suada, Suada yeah. yeah. And then a new thing which I've not seen before, Feels Like Noodles, is that? Yes, that's my uh, 24-hour comic. So it was produced as part of the Lakes Festival 24-hour comics challenge in 2015. Uh, so basically, they took six artists and shoved us all in a room, shut the door, and didn't let us out until we finished. So comic or you don't get out, basically? Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was really fun, but very intense. And I made the foolish mistake of choosing to make it autobiographical as well. So it was doubly intense because I'm like reliving old memories that were right. quite upsetting and, you know, doing it in 24 hours as well. So, yeah, but I'm, I'm pleased with how it came out. And um, can you tell us a little bit about For the Love of God Marie? Certainly. Um, it's a story about a young woman growing up as a Catholic in the 60s. Um, and she hears the sermon about uh, loving thy neighbour. She takes it a little bit too literally. Uh, so she ends up embracing completely her bisexual identity she starts off a little bit naive thinking she knows exactly what love is but the book is about her learning exactly what it is through her relationships with other people and it also addresses lots of other themes like um, because the story takes place over about 50 years in snippets um, you kind of see a progression of attitudes towards like gender sexuality racism uh, religion as well 
Um, and it's kind of quite a cathartic read, I think. Yeah, you, I started reading this on, on Thursday, actually. Absolutely oh, right. beautiful. Oh, thank um, you so much. Um, with that, with the subject matter and with its kind of treatment of sexual identity and sort of gender identity, gender politics, have you had any kind of pushback on that or has it been...? I've been really surprised because I, ex I fully expected some pushback, some really negative people, you know, um, I was talking to one of Myriad uh, Editions' other authors. Yeah. Um, the, the book is published by Myriad yeah. Editions, just to clarify. Um, and uh, she was telling me, because her book was about, you know, um, a lot of kind of misogynistic issues and such, um, she went on Women's Hour and a whole bunch of people just trolled her on Twitter. Which and is horrible. It's, to it's yeah. terrible. And I fully and expected... it can be so toxic at the moment. Yes, so. exactly. So I was slightly nervous putting this book out. I mean... No, no one messes with me anyway. I, you know, they won't do it. But I expected something to happen, and I'm so kind of humbled by how many people have just told me they love the story, love the art, and really appreciate the representation of a bisexual woman yeah. in these kind of decades. Still not very common. That's yeah, not, not surprisingly, yeah. I mean, as a bisexual woman, it's. I, I want. I write what I want to read, and yeah. you know, it, it's that hilarious thing of. You know the the old comics guard being like, oh, why is there suddenly all this gay content? It's like because that's what we want. Because people you know? want to read it. Yes. We, we want to see ourselves exactly. reflected in <laughs> yeah. the things we love. Definitely. And it seems like you've sold out. Yeah, we uh, we sold out yesterday um, of my copies that I'd yeah. ordered. So I nipped over to Myriad's table to pinch some of theirs, and now all of Myriad's copies oh, wow. are gone as well. So oh, cool. yeah, because I think it's because uh, Andy Oliver, um, re reviewer from uh, Broken Frontier, yes, yes. he mentioned it on the Gosh Comics panel. Um, I think uh, like best thing be I've read all year. Yeah, yeah, best thing in the year, and so I think a load of people went right, got to have that, and yeah. I was like, bloody hell. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. So yeah, it's the response to this book has been incredible and I really appreciate every single person that's been over during this weekend to just say that they really enjoyed it and that they liked to see themselves represented in it as well. Have you had a chance to um, get out and have a look at any any other books around at the show? I have. Um, what have I seen? I, I did spend a lot of money this morning. Um, yeah, I, I had a set budget and uh, I blew it out of the water definitely I had to dip into some of my uh, earnings as well um, now I uh, picked up Drugs and Wires um, oh, yeah, by uh, Cryo Claire that's great the art's fantastic it looks wonderful doesn't it yes yeah, yes like, sort of slightly glitchy yeah definitely um, so that's a really fun series um, I also picked up uh, Jonathan Edwards is a fantastic artist um, he uh, does um, a lot of sketchbooks with uh, watercolour art in and um, he just did a trip to Helsinki so I bought his Helsinki sketchbook his artwork's so gorgeous, I had to. Um, oh, I had to get Ryan North's book mm. as well. Oh, this is, yeah, Romeo, Romeo and, and or Juliet. Juliet. Like, and that's, multi that's quite plus choice. Out, yes, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a fantastic idea. Like, it's illustrated by so many different artists. Um, I haven't had a chance to dip into it yet, but I think it's such a clever idea. And Ryan North is such a clever writer. Like, had to get it, definitely. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Good interviewing, Hart. What else? So, off the back of that, I, I continued along what uh, what Mr. Kimpton described as the thought bubble rainbow road, and went and checked out some other uh, other bits of queer deliciousness. Now, this one I did write about on the site. Um, this is the foldings by Faye Sims, and it's uh, it's the comic we're describing as charming as balls. Oh, good, that mm -hmm. one. 
Mm-hmm. They seemed pleased on the Twitters. Mm. So this is this is the story of um, Jasper and Micah to um, a couple. They're just they're just there. They're just, it's not like a coming out story or anything. They're just boys doing their boy smooching thing mm-hmm. in a magical flying city. Except Jasper is immune to magic, and so when everyone else, if they they can get by by diving, like people sort of dive off buildings for kicks, and the magic of the place will stop them. Mm-hmm dying basically whereas he would plummet to his death mm. um, every objects are enchanted so he can pick up things that would otherwise be dangerous but don't need so it, it, it's it's not labored but it is kind of this fun little thing mm. it's just the whole thing is just a really well done what's the nice way of saying light thing it, it, it's it's charming it's just it it's got this lightness of touch and it tells it tells the story, it tells very, this is a very clipped, very small story, very well with a lot of character bite. But one of the things I didn't really talk about on the site and is the thing, the thing that I really, really loved about it is there are a couple of pages where you're just looking out across the city and you get how much investment there is in creating this thing. And it's not, not in the clumsy way where a lot of webcomics feel really compelled to over-explain their world with like glossary mm-hmm. pages and mm-hmm. about the cast Shite. whole wiki all that stuff we complain about endlessly about self-involved webcomics it, it doesn't have that it's just mm. got this sense of a really strong sense of place there's this one panel where a guy is looking out of his window and the city's a shambles it's like bolted together tiers on tiers on stuff on stuff climbing up into the clouds out of scrap and fragments it's lovely um, and this guy is just looking out of his window surveying the city smoking a pipe Mm-hmm. And it's just this, this very simple image, but something about the look on his face and the juxtaposition of the previous panel, which looks down over this sort of light-washed aerial city, which just gives you this feeling of, yeah, that dude just fucking loves this sky town. Mm. And it sells its mood really well. I, I'm disproportionately excited about it for its length and its heft. It's, it's just this, this fun, funky, all-ages, slightly queer, slightly cute thing with these adorable big-eyed boys. Um, oh, it's just lovely. It's good, and it's also, I think, the sort of kind of Indian webcomic scene is one of the places where we're starting to get a lot more stories where the queerness is incidental rather mm. than the crux of the story, and that's very, very nice, that it doesn't have to be one of those kind of standard or labour narratives about yeah. coming out or about the conflict or fraughtness of being queer. It's just mm. there, the, like this, it is in people's lives yeah. normally. <laughs> this was a big a big thread in the in the panel, and we sort of touched on this when we talked to the Dragon Horde guys about sort of bad yowie, good yowie, <laughs> but... Um, that one of the useful signs of progress is that you get to have stories that are just about queer experience of thing X or thing Y but also you start to get to see queer characters not having to be this massive standard bearer and getting to be flawed shitty people without feeling like you ambient queerness as opposed to focused yes and and so I, I really like seeing it in genre work where it's I mean, you sort of get a get-out-of-jail-free card with some genre work, which is if you want to set things in a world where the judgment and the homophobia or whatever has never been an issue, you just can. You can choose to do or to not do the strife stuff. Mm-hmm. But I like seeing it in genre stuff where representation has historically been a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um, I know, it's, it's nice. It's really Because nice. medieval Europe was the whitest, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. No. No, it's not. And people get very angry if you say otherwise. Mm. Despite, you know, history. But yeah, the foldings, it's just come off the back of a really successful um, Kickstarter campaign. Is this to make a book? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, this is this is what they're selling at Fort Bubble. The mm-hmm. sort of, um, and the print edition has this pro story in the back that I've not read yet, mm. but I think emphasizes some other bits and bobs. How big is the one that's just come out? Um, 
It's about 40-something pages, but 24, 26 of that is comic and the rest is prose. Um, is it all still on the internet anyway? Is it Not that I could readily find. There's, okay. there's a Tumblr with lots of extras and lots of concept art. Right. I'll be really interested to see what next, what's next for it. Mm. But yeah, we, um, we asked, I, I've covered quite a bit of it already, but we, uh, we asked Faye to tell us a bit about it. Going to talk to Faye Sims, whose comic The Foldings is here at Football and I believe on Kickstarter. Yeah, we kickstarted it last year this time at Thought Bubble and we finally have the final issue. So people are always like, oh, I think I saw this on a leaflet, which is lovely. It means it works. But um, yeah, so steampunk and airships and magic and gay. And we actually got so much funding, we did a second extra story. So there's a prose story in the back as well as the comic, which is lovely. So yeah, it's been doing well. Tell us a bit more about it, Um, Yeah, the very first one is about, um, it's an entirely magical world. It's about the one guy in the world who can't do magic and that gets him into absolutely disastrous situations. And the second one, we wanted to get our lady characters in there, Orla and Peori, and they're actually engineers who fix airships. Oh, cool. So they have a problem with exploding airships, and they're trying to get that sorted. So yeah, that was it. <laughs> how's, uh, how's Thought Bubble been treating you this year? I love Thought Bubble, right? Yeah, it's amazing. I've actually spent pretty much everything anyone's had in me in cash at the moment, yeah. so already bought every enamel pin I could see going. But yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> have you seen anything at the show that you particularly recommend, or you think it is? Oh my god, so much stuff. Um, what have I bought in particular? I don't know, I just bought so much. I went straight to Kevin J. Stanton and bought all of his stuff because I love him. So, yeah. No, I think it's just been brilliant. <laughs> oh, that's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good interviewing, Hart. You bastard. So, one that I found it sort of, um, one that I really thought would fall outside of your normal um, Reading idiom is Cowboys and Insects by David Hine and Shaky Kane. What, because it doesn't have, like, butt stuff in it? No, because it's weird as balls, almost narrative-free, demented pop culture riffing. Which it's is what those two do though. when they're together. It's not. Not 100% narrative-free, but the narrative is loose. Do you know, it really made me think of Stranger Things. Interesting. So that joy of an era intermediated by its pop culture cliches. Yeah. It's, it's this lurid neon 1950s-ish, maybe 60s actually. Um, cheerfully gross, super lurid. Uh, it, it's, a view on, it's a twisted view on an era as intermediated through its pop, through its kind of, th- through its caricature in the popular imagination. And when am I not going to love that? Mm. Um, well, try reading Shaky Kane's Monster Truck. Mm. Um, that one might be quite interesting. But the the kid voice in it. So I, I I'll confess I haven't finished it. I read half of it like over breakfast this morning, um, and probably didn't do it the service it deserved. But this was one of my picks in advance of the the festival, just because it looked so cool. Um, for anyone who's who's missed this, which is probably most people, because it's quite recently out. The Bikini Atoll tests mutated insects and they replaced cattle in the American consciousness. Hmm. Well, that'll do. Cowboys wrangle cattle, they're used for meat, Um, they occupy a culturally iconic place. Uh, Sorry, insects, giant bugs. Yeah. Like Mars in Futurama. Yeah. And so it opens on a, like, bullfight, but it's stag beetles, Mm -hmm. and it's gory as fuck, and there's this, like, blonde kid who looks like something, what was that frickin' cartoon, King of the Hill? Oh yeah, yeah. It, it Bobby. Looks, it looks like a day glow version of King of the Hill, but set in insect infused nineteen sixty something Midwest. I'm just saying words. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. 
There, there are all these sort of gross panels of people slaughtering the insects, but the, the colour palette lends it this fuzzy joy. It's a super weird semi-psychedelic thing. If you enjoyed that, I'd recommend um, the Bulletproof Coffin, which they did on Image, uh, I think, five, six years ago. Yes, yes. Um, which is them, both, uh, both of them again, doing a sort of 1960s superhero comic, but through the same lens. Mm. And it is demented. It's like a really venal version of Grant Morrison doing his sort of metafictional thing. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it's... It's a lot of fun. And this, is, this isn't just dicking about with giant bugs. So one of the things running through it is they find one that might or might not be sentient. Mm. And it turns into a sort of, in a way, an amped up version of the ethical arguments of vegetarianism, but without feeling preachy. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's weird and it's good. Um, you spoke to David Hine, didn't you? I did. I think I confused him a bit because I basically just sort of jammed a microphone at him and mumbled whilst very hungover. Probably getting your diseases as well. How, so, I mean, that's distinct from all the other interviews. Let's hear that completely different thing. Taking a look at um, Cowboys and Insects by David Hine and, um, and Shaky Kane. Um, so, uh, David, can you tell us a bit about it? Um, okay, it's a book that was originally published through Aces Weekly. It's a digital comic. Um, it's a 21-page widescreen edition, uh, and it's the story of an alternative 1950s America. What would have happened if the uh, atomic bomb tests in Bikini Atoll had caused insects to mutate to such a size that we could replace cattle um, with insects as your basic food stuff? So Which is just a- delightfully kind of you can see it but you sort of can't odd it's exactly yeah. exactly no it, it actually works cowboys ranching insects does work really well mm. there's a, there's um, an insect drive through the center of town that i think is uh, an absolutely classic scene it's it's visually arresting just the, the kind of the bright yes, colors definitely. yeah um shaky stuff is always like full-on daylight um but it, it also i think has the, the kind of feel of a late 50s, early 60s comic book, you know, that kind of very flat colour, not, not, it doesn't look modern or digital. How is, how is that to write as an era? Is it kind of relatively easy or? Uh, sorry, yeah, so, uh, right, so writing-wise, getting into that 50s oh, mindset. And, uh, I, th- I think like that anyway. I grew up, I grew up on crappy B-movies and uh, an awful lot of 1950s comic books, actually. I used to read all the Stanley and Steve Ditko oh, and wonderful. Jack Kirby, those little short stories yeah. um, with the little twist endings. So it all comes naturally to me, really. Cool, cool. And have you, have you, how have you found Thought Bubble this year? It's been great, actually. I think it's the busiest one yet. Um, and the, the material for sale is just astonishing. Isn't, isn't the standards so high this year? Yeah, yeah. There's, there's no rubbish here at all, really. Um, Anything in particular you found that you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, but I've forgotten what it was. <laughs> it, it was a book. It was a book from first seconds. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's completely gone out of my head. Um, let me think. What else did I pick up? Uh, obviously, everything that was released here. Um, so we've got Tetris. Oh, Tetris is self-made hero. And this, actually, Ghost Stories of Antiquary, um, M.R. James, which yeah. is one of my all-time favourite sort of spooky, ghosty books. Wonderful and, atmosphere. Yeah. And to have that adapted by 
yeah, and Lairmore and John Ruppin doing the adaptations, I think it's, uh, it's a no-brainer, got to buy it. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Sorry, David. Good interviewing, Hart. You prick. Um, we also spoke to um, James McKay. You say we. It was you, mostly. Um, from... To be fair, for this one, you held the microphone because my hands were shaking too badly. Oh, that's true. You were delicate. I had the clanks. Um, he's from the Faculty of Engineering at the University of Leeds. Oh, that's nice. And they've put together two comics um, about climate change. Um, one and how of, to survive it. One of which was called Dreams of a Low Carbon Future, which was a series of possible takes on how mm. um, climate change might affect um, how people Stuff. live. And now there's a dream of a low carbon future which focuses on one positive vision. Mm-hmm. It's um, a really interesting idea. Um, and it's a collection. They were, they were giving it away at Thought Bubble and it's a collection of artists mm. um, all doing takes on how, you know, how different, different, different approaches could not reverse or avoid climate change but allow people to mitigate, with deal with it. Yeah. yeah. And they've so. really gone to town. So it's this big, gorgeously printed, hefty thing. Um, given how eager people are to have free stuff at Thought Bubble, part, the cynical part of me wondered if they couldn't maybe have sort of cut down their printing costs massively by doing something a bit slighter and people would still have grabbed it. But it looks, and I guess this is part of why they did it, it looks super credible. And it's, yeah, it's an anthology. And the, the premise, well, should we just let, let them explain it? Yes. We're here with um, the team from Dreams of a Low Carbon Future, which is a comic about, I believe, imagining a future coping with climate change? That's right, yeah. Um, So it's a project that's been produced by loads of scientists at the University of Leeds, um, and we're trying to explain a load of um, really cutting-edge scientific ideas through comics all about the future um, being wildly optimistic. So... um, Whereas all the Hollywood movies and loads of books and comics and everything are all about a kind of a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk future where everything's horribly wrong. We wanted to try and do a, imagine a, a positive vision where all this stuff is actually working, all these like really cool ideas that are around at the moment are actually um, leading to you know, a completely different kind of society, but one that is, is actually really good, really positive. And what kind of things would we find in the book? Um, so there's all sorts of stuff about um, renewable energy. That's that's like the biggest thing that we need to do is to stop using oil and yes. coal and gas because um, if we don't do that, we all die basically. Um, so that but that implies kind of a major change in the way that the whole society works. And behind that is um, the economy. So our economy is based on ever growing, yes. ever using more and more stuff, ever producing more and more waste. Um, so we have to like work out a way of doing less, using less resources and keeping within our limits. Um, and if we can do that with renewable energy technologies, then that kind of means that we keep at a steady state um, and uh, we don't, we're not kind of continually using more and more. Cool. And sort of who's the creative team for the book? Okay, so um, I'm a, an artist. Uh, I've worked for 2000 AD and various other um, companies. And sorry, I completely so, forgot to ask your name. Yeah, uh, so it's James Mackay. Um, and um, I've 
Uh, I'm also the manager of the centre at the university where um, we do all this research. Um, so it's within the Faculty of Engineering. And um, uh, so I pulled together a network of my contacts who are other, art other comic artists. Um, and they're all like really good at the kind of infographic type, you know, comics about things, not sort of like entertainment comics, but um, comics that are on, you know, issues like healthcare or um, different sorts of science and, and that kind of thing. Um, and there's a really big network of comic artists that, that work in that area. Um, so I pulled together a load of those guys, sat them down with all the scientists, and we tried to thrash out, you know, what would things look like and, you know, how will it work and, you know. That could could we tell the story of a character that moves through this world? That must world. have been a really exciting session. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's actually many sessions. So the project has been um, three or four years now. Um, and we produced an initial book uh, called Dreams of a Low Carbon Future um, that was funded by the Royal Academy of Engineering. Um, that was about three years ago. And that was about lots of different dreams of... of different ideas of the future so we had bad ones and good ones yeah I think I remember that book yeah so you had some quite a few contributions from school children I think. yeah yeah so it all came out of sessions that we did with putting the scientists together with school children the school children provided all the creativity the scientists provided all the data um, and then the new one is a dream uh, so out of all the dreams we had like a lot of focus on, on a on a good one um, that seemed to be seemed to appeal to a lot of people, yeah. and we thought, you know, let's produce a book where we explain that in detail, like what what's that all about, um, and uh, so th that's where the the inspiration for that book came from. Um, so it's like looking into it, and, and the first book, all the stuff fed into the second book, so all, all of the stuff is in there, but it just um, it's one one major vision, but it's not like monolithic. Yeah. There, there's lots of different views within that within cool. the book. That's great. <laughs> have you had a chance to get out and see any of the rest of the show? Is there anything you'd recommend? Um, I have, yeah. There's some really cool stuff over there of like uh, kids who've produced some comics. Yeah. They're absolutely hilarious. Um, there's like a day in the life of a worm. And <laughs> <laughs> like the kids are sort of 12, 11 yeah. and stuff and it's brilliant. Oh, cool. I loved them. Cool. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And, uh, yeah. yeah, we'll uh, give a book a mention on the show. Thank you. Cheers. Good interviewing heart. Uh, I read some things. Did you really? I did read some things. Um, I read a couple of things will come up when Lucy uh, does the challenge. Does the challenge when we come to the Lucy Boys five pound challenge, in which that both, used to mean different things back when I still drank. In which we both give Lucy a comic that costs less than five pounds from Thought Bubble and basically fight for. She tells us which My one love she loves the Such most. vestiges of attention as you give out. The crumbs from my brain table. Yeah. Daddy or chips? First of all... Chips, obviously. Daddy wasn't very nice. Chips are delicious. <laughs> I had chips the other night with curry sauce. It was great. Oh, so much better than daddy. Mm. With or without curry sauce. Mm. So I read Fantasy Sports number two. Oh, I've still got number one to read. How was it? It's Grab. really... It's really good. It does have some excellent sound effects, like grab. Perfect. There's a wonderful uh, one of the sound effects in Get Your Man is just butt touch. Nice. <laughs> I always like, like. It is one of my favorite things in comics is sound effects that just don't work. 
Um, the Army Shanks books, uh, Creator 15, and the other one, who went to name? I can't remember. I have some really good, completely inappropriate sound effects in them, like swashbuckle. Oh. What's the sports, Dave? Volleyball. Oh. So I, t- I talked about the first one a little while ago, and it's basically... Two magicians who do quests, which somehow end up with them playing sports against various things. The first one was a basket game of basketball against a mummy. The second one is volleyball against fish people. Excellent. Um, which you know, is 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 brilliant, and it's just it's adorable. I said I wasn't going to buy any no-brow stuff there, but I did. I bought one, and it's just it's just lovely. Um, it starts to fill in a little bit of backstory around Ooh. the thing. There's some intrigue. There's a lot of very silly jokes. Um, and the whole sort of Astro Boy-ish look of the thing gets melded with some late 70s, 80s uh, anime later on as more characters start to appear. Um, and it's just very happy having these contrasting styles next to each other in the artwork. It's beautiful. I love this series. It's very, it very silly. fantastic. And it's a great all ages comic the jokes are daft really daft and they work you can get it for young people of your acquaintance for Christmas and it wouldn't offend grandma is what you're saying it might do depends on whether grandma worships Dagon or not mm. I know mine did mm. Mm. all dead now though aren't they yeah that's where they belong I uh, also picked up um, Wired Up Wrong by Rachel Smith oh yes um, which is a collection of her short four panel things on mental health hmm. and it's Rachel Smith it's charming and it's funny and it's it's sort of true feeling and it, it's it's her sort of dealing with her uh, her black dog which takes two forms there's the big fluffy comforting wallowing <laughs> depression and then there's the mean shadowy recognisable depression you're all looking I thought at was me a nice distinction well you're Stop across from, looking I'm, at I'm me. talking directly at the microphone which is uh I find a very good way to be picked up by it. I just crave your approval. Oh, God. The crumbs from my brain table. It's bad. It's a bad brain. It's a bad table. Which I think is a direct quote from this. There's this this wonderful thing where she she wakes up crying and her partner or boyfriend or whatever asks what's okay. And she says, I dreamed about a leaf. Okay. But it was so perfect. And she's just bawling her eyes out. And it... It's that thing, so Rachel Smith, it, it, we didn't get around to interviewing her, and I'm kicking myself for this. I just ran out of time on the Sunday. This might also be the last year you could actually get near her. Yeah. You never know. But um, she's so good at voice. Just, yes. You had that in I Am Fired, it's very obvious. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's sort so of in the Allisonian mode, but not cribbing from it, especially. It's so clipped and real. Mm. Like the people are really people y. Mm. Wow, I'm Fully humantic. Yeah. yeah. There's also a couple of sort of numbskull style people that live in our head and spin the wheel of feels. Um, <laughs> What's she it going to be today? She has completely uh, unpredictable reactions to things. And She's just seen a cat. We've got uncontrollable screaming. I once nearly cried at a sign that said Innovation Park while I was driving. It's yeah. the Wheel of Feels. The Wheel of Feels. I think uh, I think you'll enjoy this. Mm. It's just a series. Of, yeah, a series of small. Um, gag strips basically about depression and mental health and it's really nice those are the best gags those are yeah of those mental health ribs ticklers mm. Mm. 
Mm. Funny. Yeah. Um, I also read um, Cogs by Lorenzo Frizza. Oh, it goes by, this looked um, amazing. Jinku Comics. And again, a lot of what I read was just sort of short 10, mm-hmm. 12 page things. This was beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, really gorgeously illustrated uh, sort of Euro manga style with um, a lovely palette of sort of pinks and purples, mm. blues and reds, quite sort of muted. And um, it's just about a guy who cycles badly, uh, meeting a girl and trying to get her number. And, you know, stuff happens. It's a short story. There's a lot to get in. Um, but it's just it's just a really nicely illustrated thing and a reflection on mortality to an extent and being a dick. And bicycle maintenance. And bicycle maintenance. Huh. I was just thinking then it, the sort of meets a girl and tries to get a number reminded me of my cousin's experience of being a post lady fairly early on in the job where she rang on the doorbell with a parcel guy answers it wearing a towel five minutes later he's fully dressed and put together running down the road asking for her number <laughs> it's um, better than that could have gone it's true it's more poetic than that yes more and poetic than no that. one had to work for Royal Mail no um, I think I don't know if he's the sole person operating under Jinku Comics, um, but there's a range of things there with a bunch of little black and white ones as well. I really, really, really nice. This. Oh. Um, there are lots and lots and lots of uh, nice looking comics on this. Then. This was on my sort of list of things that I just didn't get around to buying. It looked so lovely. Recommend checking them out. And the final thing that I read this week, I've not gone through my entire list of things that I picked up, but. Um, was a, a short story again called Where Were You by Telly Clark um, which again really really pretty and uh, sort of a horror-y thing that, that mm. drew me in uh, it has a sort of woman lurking half concealed under the surface just her eyes above the water in the front and I do love me a watery bint so I see <laughs> um it's it's about a guy who's obsessing about his girlfriend who just won't talk to him. It's in the in the modern parlance of the young people, I believe it's ghosting. Um, I she's see. just disappeared and won't won't respond. And him meeting another sort of pixie dream girl, manic pixie dream girlish character who steals his skateboard and oh dear, his girlfriend appearing as as uh, manifestations of his guilt and. Mm-hmm. You know, probably mistreating her, finding someone else attractive. Um, and, of course, this girl may be a siren, because that's what happens when you're skateboarding long terms. So you get sirens. You do. There. It's a constant risk. Um, and it plays with um, whether or not he's actually being attacked by sirens, whether he's mad, whether he's just driven himself weird with grief. and. Uh, mm. It's uh, it it wraps up a little neatly for my um, my taste. I would prefer a little bit more ambiguity. Ambiguity. Oh. I like watery bent and ambiguity. I'm saying that because it came from a thing, not because I would. Have you read wet moon? Generally refer to women's bints. I have read red wet moon. Yes. Mm, there's creepy ladies in the water in that as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a good time. It's mm. a it, 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 it's a. An idiom I enjoy, I think, mm. coming from Hellboy and Jenny Greenteeth in the third volume of Hellboy. It's a thing. Um, but I, I liked it, and he had a bunch of other stuff that I didn't pick up. That, that was mm-hmm. Tabby Clark and Where Were You. 
Can I can I just give a last uh, a last shout out to something I read that I thought was quite cool, mm-hmm. um, which is we spoke to uh, last year we spoke to Mindstain, the little collective that does some some fun sort of scritchy scratchy interesting eclectic stuff. Um, and yesterday I read one of their shorts, which was um, Damaris by Sarah Peplo, which was described as uh, let me get this right an ultraviolet gender queer regency adventure. Um, which is the story of Will, um, a girl dressing as a boy, unsure exactly how they're defining, whether it's a sort of go out and pretend to be a lad mm-hmm. persona or whether it's actually a... It, it's completely unclear in the first volume, who is basically infatuated with a fancy fancy sort of bordello madam. Oh dear. Um, and goes out to defend her from a puritanical riot with a stick with a nail through it. Fascinating. People are sort of storming the whorehouses, yelling about degeneracy. Mm. He, he, she binds up their bosom, gets a club with a spike through it, and goes and attempts to um, protect her. And then it sort of pulls back to understand how he became interested in her and what's going on. It's, it's only it's only the it's only the first volume. It's very short, um, little sort of fidgety zany art style. Mm. But a really nice idiom. It kind of feels period appropriate to the point of occasionally actually being quite hard to pass. Yeah, good. But not in a badly written way. No, it was a hard to pass time in history. Like, idiomatically, it's just it's it, it's a it's a really fun thing. Well, it's not fun. It's horrible. But, but equally, we're going to need people with clubs and nails to defend the whorehouses, probably. Yeah, because it's going to get, get bad. bad. What can bring us a light in these dark times? Uh, lizards looking at pictures of it's the Lucy Boys five pound challenge I've never been described as a light in a dark time if anything I've been described as a lightless abyss into which light gets sucked and then extinguished yeah but which do you prefer the levels of contrast are such still we bought you some comics oh thanks I'm cheered up now what did you get well, I got a, a trilogy of Sylvia Caris. You did, yes. Uh, and I also got Poke a Mango. Mm-hmm. We, we cheated, didn't we? It's normally, it's normally one You each. cheated. Well, given that there's two of you and I got four comics, I don't know who else is participating in this challenge. No well, I think one. Dave was Feminist Cat and... Well, well we, don't, we don't want to influence oh. it. But, well, you, um, you can't, I've already decided. But, I mean, that was going to be yours, but you never paid me for it, so I took it back. <laughs> So we've got a, a, a trio of Sylvia Caris. We've got Social Justice Penguin, Feminist Cat, and Butt Ghosts. And then Those are two separate things. They're not like sidekicks. It's true. And yet. Do you know what can save us? Poke a Mango by Redmond J. Fox, who also appears to go by the name Richard J. Smith on Twitter. But that name wasn't on the comic, so I didn't know it was you until I looked at it on Twitter. It was also an insight into how my primary school teachers made those workbooks that we all had that all looked like that. Mm. Mm. Um, that this is where we are now. I'm your happy future. Oh joy. Fox, living in what I believe is probably the north of England, whose sister is into Pokemon Go, but who decides that they're going to create their own version of Pokemon Go with... Uh, sort of an empty pill bottle that says antipsychotics on it and a shoulder bag from the Rotherham advertiser. 
It's just loads of street garbage. Like, yes. There's this half-finished hamburger at one point. They, um... The garbage is the Pokemons, yes? Yes. Well, they manage to catch a bug, and then the bug evolves into a cluster bug. And then they go to a restaurant to try and catch some more Pokemons. And the restaurant owner is like, oh, no, don't bring bugs in here. That's bad. Oh, but Pokemons. Pokemons is my favorite game. But it turns out by Pokemons, he means poking the fox with a stick while the fox runs away. <laughs> and then just the back page is the two of them playing Game Boys with a link cable. <laughs> so pretty tremendous. It's then. charming and bizarre. Um, Social Justice Penguin. The, uh, the message I got from this comic, which was short, was that penguins are well-meaning, but ultimately ineffectual and probably don't know how TV works. That seems broadly fair. I think that's probably overreaching as far as they are well-meaning. They're broadly concerned with mackerel and their own eggs. The penguins in this instance were well-meaning. They tried to educate the world about social justice, but they didn't know how to be on TV and it turned out they didn't speak a language that humans understood. Mm-hmm. The tragedy of Pingu, really. Well, exactly. It was Finnish all along. Uh, Feminist Cat mm-hmm. was along a similar line. I think the theme that Sylvia Carris was going for here was, um, you know, make topics about inclusivity and not being a dick to each other more palatable using cute animals, mm-hmm. which works, I think, broadly. But then I already agreed with those things and thought animals were cute anyway, so I'm maybe not the target audience. Feminist Cat is a cat that is trying to smash the patriarchy by doing cat things. So it uh, urinates in the tea of a builder who catcalls the owner. It scratches up a load of lads' mags. It goes to a party to be petted with a social justice message emblazoned upon its soft belly fur. Um, (laughs) It's pretty good. The winner of this year's challenge, to whichever of you did this to me, (laughs) is Butt Ghost. Yes! (laughs) I sort of thought it might be. Because you can't beat butt ghosts. Well, we thought you liked butts and we thought you liked ghosts. I really like ghosts and would say the same for butts as well. And so it's sort of, it's about ghosts who died but also love butts. So they get to spend their whole ghosthood going around to people with highly rated butts. The rating system is unclear. And pinching (laughs) those butts. There's a ghost butt jury. Oh, no, it's true. There is a ghost butt jury that rates the butts and this goes on the website. They've got a big database. Some sort of ghost... Buttsters. Mm. You're a bad man, go away. Uh, it's been fun, but now we have to stop doing this podcast. <laughs> Not just this episode, just all together. There's, um... They talk about how the... So the t- this it's is a quote from the comic. Mm. The team leader of the group is the oldest of the butt ghosts. Its name is Buttocks, and it's the one that provides the addresses. <laughs> <laughs> That's just what I loved about it. Like, a lot of her... Like, there's, her stuff is... A bunch of one-note jokes. Yes, it's the one that's t- like takes the time to really double down again and again. Just on repeatedly, the jokes. like the whole thing was an extraordinarily flimsy idea done very well, and I like that. Um, one of the, the sort of there's a sort of side plot, a subplot, a rear plot um, of an elderly woman called Mrs. Maple, who is one of the butt ghosts, goes to see because she's very old but has a five-star butt, and he's like, how can this be possible? But it's true, she does have an amazing butt, and later it says Mrs. Maple died of too many butt pinches. 
<laughs> when the ghost who broke the contract by pinching her butt too many times to the point where she died is being arrested by other ghosts, he says, I'm just a ghost in love with a butt. <laughs> does Mrs. Maple then become a butt ghost? She does not. It does not go into that much detail. Sequel, sequel. It's a it's a short work, but it's lavishly coloured. I thought mm. the production values were incredibly mm. high for the concept. Also, the ghosts look exactly like the ghosts I drew when uh, we were claiming that your penis was haunted. That's so, true. Um, they look like the ghosts on my ghost dress as well. I just feel good about that style of sort of half-assed cartoon ghost. It was just delightful. Last thought bubble for another year. Yeah, I found some go good stuff. It was we good. Go again it was next good year. Well, yeah, we could. We could go back. I quite, I quite like it. Mm. We could have Bundabust again. Every time you're done, I think, yeah, I want to do this next year. And every time it's next year, I think, no, I don't. Well, because of all the humans. Exactly. Well, Swimming. I get a little bit. I get a little bit anxious. Writhing. I, I struggle. I also have a lot of bad juju from the one time that I did go. It's getting a bit better for the anxiety. Like the space is every year. The space has been better and better managed. And the coffee was much better this year. Oh, thank that doesn't help can't, the can't stress that it does for me. Okay. It's, just, it's, it's my special place that I can go to. Okay. They give me the juice that sustains me. That's you had five espressos on the train on the way up. Good Lord. Yes. I thought your eyeballs were going to pop out. Did I look like they were going to pop out? No, I was just normal and calm because that's how much coffee I need. No, you weren't. You were making a constant low howling noise. I was writing a podcast. There was a guy in Starbucks recently, someone shouted out, whose is the six shot latte? And I looked at him and I was like, as a man who doesn't want to live. <laughs> Any living he does do is in the shed of his allotment. Any living he does do is in Huntingdon, so I see why he needs six shots. Speaking of not wanting to live, shall we, uh, shall we go and get a pizza just covered oh. with so much goat's cheese? Oh, let's do that. Just a lot of goat's cheese. Mm. Well, that's a goodbye from us, and a goodbye to Thought Bubble. Ta-ta. Say goodnight. Au revoir. That's also bad.